This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Uh, a sea of red in downtown Edmonton yesterday. You may have seen the news stories. About 400 people were uh, out marking National Red Dress Day. Now, it's a day that honors missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Men and boys not left out, but that's the focus of it. And it's been around for a while, um, but it's really grown and grown and grown. Um, we know that during the pandemic, we've seen a, a sharp rise in violence towards Indigenous women, um, increases of, you know, uh, several percent. It all started this movement, the history of Red Dress Day, dates back to Métis artist Jamie Black, who helped start the whole movement. Um, it started with a red dress art installation. It evolved into the day. It's become a grassroots movement right across the continent and around the world, in fact. And basically, it's it's meant to be a visual representation of the pain and the loss felt by the families of victims of their survi- and their survivors. Um, it was made up of more than 600 donated red dresses in Winnipeg that showed up in public spaces throughout the city, then across the country. And as I say, it's just grown and grown and grown. So, May 5th has now become, right across North America, um, Red Dress Day. So why do some of these kinds of movements, including this one, where do they start and how do they, some of them take off and and others don't? We're going to chat now with uh, Nicolette Little, who is a critical media studies instructor and PhD candidate at the University of Calgary to talk about this. Uh, Nicolette, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Hi there, it's my pleasure. Yeah, you take a look at not only Red Dress Project, but some other ones, similar ones, as to why they really seem to find a footing and take off and become international movements. Let's just talk about Red Dress Day, um, why it started, how it started, and why it it found itself being something so much larger than its origins. Sure, yeah. Well, it's um, what seems to be very interesting about a lot of these um, movements or grassroots projects as they they start out is that they're very individual. Um, you know, Jamie Black initially uh, put a call out for people to donate dresses. Um, she was, you know, fed up with a, a normalization of gender-based violence and violence against Indigenous women and girls. And, uh, you know, struck it on her own, tried to raise awareness. And then the response to this call for dresses was really impressive. As you said, it was, you know, 600 dresses donated. And, um, you know, she's confirmed that every single dress she's used since, you know, and and this started in 2010, we're now 2022. So in those 12 years since, every single red dress she's used has also been donated from the communities. So there's just huge uptake um, on these otherwise very kind of lone wolf, um, you know, fed up with rape culture and gender-based violence sort of projects. And I think it kind of suggests that there is a, like a larger awareness that there really is a problem um, in terms of violence and people are looking for someone to strike out and have a great idea um, to kind of raise awareness and people are very eager to, to join in. And it seems like it's it's the starting idea is one that's easily built onto because, you know, like you mentioned in your work, there has been projects in Edmonton, there's been projects all over the country, around the world, in fact, sort of building upon the origins of Red Dress Day. Absolutely. Um, So, 
what's what's really interesting is that a lot of the projects I've looked at are using materials that are really easy to access. So Jamie Black uses red dresses. Um, I also talked about Leah Parsons in a recent a recent article. Uh, she paints beach stones that she's collected and you know uses you know everyday accessories. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Like art supply paint and varnish. And um, these projects just use items that everyone can find. They're easily recognizable. And when I've spoken to both the artists um, and activists, as well as people who've engaged with these projects, the fact that they're so kind of easy to conceive or, or doable um, in some ways is really reassuring to people. And it makes people feel that they can kind of join in themselves. So we get people, you know, always asking the artists first, which is important mm-hmm. whenever you're going to borrow some, someone's idea. And I'd say especially so when it comes to um, just issues around Indigenous cultural appropriation and that kind of thing. Um, but people reaching out, people asking if they can mount their own red dress projects. You know, there's been a red dress photography photography project in Edmonton. Um, there's a red omatit uh, project um, that's been put on by the Inuit peoples. Um, so, yeah, people just thinking that these are accessible, great ideas, but things that they can see themselves doing or building on themselves. And these projects seem to grow because in some ways they're replicable and they use accessible, um, you know, elements or uh, objects. And the activists themselves, like Jamie, um, they're so inclusive and inviting. And they're very eager for people to join in and do whatever they can to help raise awareness, too. Well, I think you make a really good point in terms of the accessibility, because like like you're talking, you know, gender violence is such a huge problem and such a massive issue. It can seem hard to, mm-hmm. how can I tackle this? But now you're giving them... Uh, an opportunity to get involved, like you say, very simple, to get involved and to show your support and your involvement and your awareness, that starts that whole process. It, it makes it something where people who may be feeling overwhelmed say, okay, well, here's where I can start. Totally. And then when you get an activist like Jamie, you know, in all her, um, in everything, whenever she talks to newspapers or the radio, she's always talking about how this is a like a collaborative project, how we all need to get involved. Her language is super inclusive, and people really respond to that as well. And I think the sense of building a community around these projects and um, these issues of care, you know, as humans, we're really all looking for community. We're all looking to feel part of something. And I think that the language she's mobilized around these otherwise kind of accessible projects has really, you know, been very mobilizing for people, too. Yeah, it's amazing to see the way that it's taken off. Uh, Nicola, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. You too. That's Nicolette Little, who is a researcher and um, 
a critical media studies instructor and PhD candidate at University of Calgary, has been looking at, you know, why some of these projects, you know, she mentions Me Too, uh, some of the other movements that really seem to find a footing, you know, the, the, the roots establish and they just grow and grow and grow. And, um, you know, there are some identifiable attributes to these campaigns as to why they take off. They start with a with a very serious issue that needs to be addressed and people want to address and gives them a way to do it. So uh, uh, really interesting stuff. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.